from the socially distanced H-Bomb Boxing Studios in beautiful downtown Forest Hill, Maryland, this is Episode 3 of the H-Bomb Boxing Report. And I want to welcome all of you into this edition of the H-Bomb Boxing Report. We're so glad to have you once again. If you're new here, we send out a special welcome to you. And want to remind everyone, this is an episodic podcast, which means you can go back and listen to the episodes one and or two by simply clicking on and catching up with anything you may have missed. If boxing's not your thing, and I understand if it's not, but I will continue to make the case that it is, if it's not your thing, Please do us a favor and pass it on to someone who might enjoy this. This is a new venture for me. I'm trying to see how far I can take it. I'm learning on the fly, and hopefully the shows will improve as it evolves. Now, I've been a boxing fan my entire life, and as long as I can remember, uh, this has been a passion of mine. So I spent a little bit of time doing some radio, and I was really energized by that, so I decided to take that passion and couple that with the brief experiences I've had behind the microphone to create a show that hopefully you can enjoy. And like I said, if you can't, please pass it on to someone who can. Now let me start out uh, this episode by thanking the people who made episode two possible. My co-host was Jason Reprogal, Jay's top shelf when it comes to good people. We've had a lot of good times together, hanging out, watching fights or attending fights. And Jay's the kind of guy who's always there when I need him. I called him up a few weeks ago, short notice. I said, hey, I need you to come in here and help me put this next episode together and just do a short show. Short because half the show was our interview with Hayden Wright. And uh, he said, yeah, like he always does. He said, yes. He always says yes when I need him. And that was that. So we had very little show prep for that. And uh, I tried to keep that in mind. Anyway, we did, a, uh, we did a short show, and Jay did a great job, especially for a first-timer. The show was a success. As for the interview, uh, how good was Hayden H-Bomb Wright? Uh, really like that guy. He's a genuine fighter, loves the sport, makes huge sacrifices to be a part of it, always helping others. And what's not to like? He's an easy guy to root for. And we got a lot of positive remarks about him, so I'm really glad I was able to introduce all of you to him. By the way, his fight with Khalid Baker, which was scheduled for February 27th, has been pushed back. The entire card has been pushed back to March 4th. And for those of you in Australia who are looking to get tickets to that fight, if you're in the Melbourne area on March 4th, uh, or really for anybody who wants to stream the fight, whether you're in Australia or not, you can go to Big Time Boxing. That's Big Time Boxing that got details. Uh, what you're looking for as far as uh, streaming or tickets are involved for that fight. So let's get behind Hayden as he takes on Khalid Baker in Melbourne on March 4th. Now, unfortunately, and I'm going to pull back the curtain here a little bit. Unfortunately, we had some trouble with our audio and the recording of that interview we did with Hayden. And it wasn't Hayden's audio, but it was mine. And despite our best efforts, about four and a half minutes of that interview had to be cut because it was basically unsalvageable. And uh, our chief technical advisor for the H-Bomb Boxing Report is Chris Wagner. And Chris did a tremendous job piecing that together and doing some tricky editing to make it all come together. And uh, 
He's great. That guy, talking about Chris, that guy can make a crying baby sound good. He probably thinks that's what I am half the time, but hats off to him. He does a great job. And thanks once again to Hayden H-Bomb Wright for joining us. He, he really knocked it out of the park. And we're going to have him back before too long to check in with his progress and go back over some of the things that got bumped out from his last visit. Now, on the last episode, we mentioned uh, the fact that people are turned off by the fact that there's too many titles and how it makes it hard to follow when we ask people, why aren't you watching more boxing or why aren't you watching boxing anymore if you say you used to? And a lot of people said they they just can't follow it. It's too hard to follow. There's too many titles. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper into that because I see the point. So I thought, let's, let's break that down now. As far as fighters go, now the fighters want the belts because they want the recognition. That's human nature. We all want to see some sort of reward for our hard work and the job that we're doing. You know, my friend Scott Wagner, uh, my late friend Scott Wagner, who was a promoter at Michael's 8th Avenue, he always used to say that, you know, I can go down to the belt store for four or five hundred dollars, I can buy a belt, call it anything I want, have two guys fight for it, and the winner will drop to his knees and cry and thank his God and everything else over this belt. And it has amazing power, and uh, that's sort of the angle that fighters are coming from. I think fighters want those belts; they want that recognition. It also puts them in line for other bigger fights, and bigger fights means more money. So. That, that makes a lot of sense there. As far as managers are concerned, I'm sure that managers want to have title holders uh, in their stable, so to speak. You know, you can always say, hey, come sign with me. I've, I've got, uh, you know, 23 world champions in my stable. And, you know, that's something that, that managers can sort of hang their hat on. So I don't think they're, they're fighting this. Promoters... They want to use title belts to sell shows because, you know, a fight poster looks a lot better when you can say, hey, we got three title fights coming up on this card. You know, it makes it sound more legit than maybe it really is. And networks, uh, they want to advertise world champions on their platforms. They want to be able to advertise and say, hey, coming up this weekend on such and such network, we've got two world title fights. And, you know, so they're, they're all in on this. And probably the worst of all would be the sanctioning bodies. They want more belts so they can sift more money off of the fights and the fighters. So somewhere it's it's somewhere to the tune of about three percent. So you know if, if a fighter's going to make a hundred grand, hundred thousand uh, dollars for a fight, the sanctioning body's going to make three thousand dollars just for the privilege of having that fighter carry that belt into the ring. So why wouldn't you want to have more belts if you're a sanctioning body? So with all that said, the question I like to ask is this, who has the incentive to create a world where there's less belts? You know, a few weeks ago, Trevor Bryan and Berman Stavern fought for the regular version of the WBA heavyweight title. Now, Bryan hadn't fought in two and a half years. Stavern hadn't fought in two years. His last win was five years ago. His last two fights were both knockout losses to uh, Joe Joyce and Deontay Wilder. No, no shame in getting knocked out by those guys. Those are top-shelf heavyweights. But the point is, when you haven't had a win in five years and your last two fights are knockout losses, should you be fighting for any type of belt? I say no. But if you want to know why people are angry or confused or turned by turned off by all this, there, there's your answer right there. 
it just makes it so much harder for people who want to get into boxing as fans to follow along. You know, boxing's like the land that law forgot. There's there's no central governing body to mold this mess into something like the average fan can follow. It, it's like the wild, wild west. Let's look at soccer for a minute, or, or football for my international friends. Not that soccer doesn't have its issues with corruption and curious decision-making, but they are light years ahead of boxing when it comes to clearly defined world champions. Let's take the World Cup, for example. Every four years, we crown a world champion. So last time out on the women's side of things, the U.S. women's team, they came out on top. So for the next four years, they are the world champions. If someone asks me who the champion is, I can give them a clear, uh, a clear-cut answer. But what if FIFA, because that's the world's governing body for soccer, what if FIFA also had a, a World Soccer Association, a World Soccer Council, a World Soccer Organization, and an International Soccer Federation? That would be the WSA, the WSC, the WSO, and the ISF. Confused yet? Well, if I told you that each of those entities also held their own tournaments and crowned their own champions, then each of those entities also came up with secondary titleists and champions and gave them names like, oh, I don't know, uh, the gold champion or the silver champion or the regular champion or the interim champion. Now you've got a confusing mess of countries all claiming to be world champions. And that's boxing in a nutshell. Welcome aboard. But my advice to you, if you're trying to follow along and get into boxing on a deeper level, is to simply uh, just focus on the fights themselves and the fighters. Don't get sucked in by who has what belt and just seek out great matchups or support fighters who entertain you or maybe you like their personality. You know, Scotty Krause said something very poignant uh, on episode one when he was in here in studio. He said, every fight has a story because every fighter has a story. It's part of what draws me in. And, you know, the personal stories and, and what they're all about and what they fight for. And we may not be able to solve these issues that hold boxing back or fix the things that turn people away from it. But we can appreciate the good fights and support fighters who we feel are worthy of our time, our attention, our money, <laughs> most importantly. And that's one of my goals here with this podcast is to help people determine what's important and what's not, and what's relevant and what's not. Now, of course, that's just my opinion, at least a lot of it is, but for anyone who wants it, I'll make it available, and uh, that's kind of why I'm here. Yeah, Larry Merchant is the, uh, of course, he's the legendary boxing pundit, writer, commentator. And by the way, he just turned 90 about a week or so ago. It's amazing. But uh, Larry Merchant once famously said that speaking about the people who say boxing's dead, he said, you can't kill boxing and you can't fix boxing. I always say boxing or being a hardcore boxing fan is like being in a relationship with a stripper. They have a lot of similarities. It's it's fun. It can be exciting. It's unpredictable. Uh, and maybe many of your desires will be met. But along the way, you'll be let down, disappointed, disrespected, taken for granted, lied to, and at some point, separated from your money. Welcome to boxing. <laughs> but I'm hooked. I'm a junkie. I take the abuse. No matter how angry or frustrated I get, whether it's fake titles or bad judging or fights that don't get made, there I am, very next weekend, right in front of the set, waiting for the next big thing to happen. And that's just who I am, I guess. 
Speaking of next weekend, we got some big fights coming up. Now, on the 27th is the return of Canelo Alvarez as he takes on Avni Yildrim. And we'll have more on that a bit later in the show. But first, I want to go back and cover some ground that's been traveled since our last episode. It's a little segment I like to call, What Just Happened and What's About to Happen. Actually, two great weekends have passed since uh, I, I last sat behind this microphone. So let's look back, starting from what we saw two weeks ago. So first, back on February 13th on ESPN, Joe Smith Jr. was to face Maxim Vlasov for the vacant WBO title, but that was canceled as Vlasov, who's, who dropped down from cruiserweight, he tested positive for COVID-19 with only two days until the fight. There was really no plan B. So other than moving uh, the entire card, they just bumped up the co-main event, which featured Richard Comey versus Jackson Marinez. They bumped that up to the main event status. And the former lightweight champion Comey from Ghana looked outstanding in knocking out Marinez in the sixth round. It was Comey's first fight since December of 2019 when he was KO'd in two rounds by Teofimo Lopez at Madison Square Garden. And that was the end of Comey's reign as a title holder. And most of the attention in the lightweight division is on the younger guys like Lopez and Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Gervonta Tank Davis. But Comey could also be a player again. He's 33, but I, I think he matches up well with the, all the guys that I just mentioned. Maybe not Lopez because we've already seen what happened there, but you never know. Uh, the division, by the way, is stacked. So when you think about all the fighters we just mentioned, then add guys like Jorge Linares, George Ferocious Cambosis, the Japanese fighter Nakatani. And I don't think it'll be too long until guys like Shakur Stevenson will make their way up to lightweight and beyond to mix with these guys. And, oh, what about a guy we haven't mentioned yet? Vasily Lomachenko. Remember him? The top pound-for-pounder who just lost his version of the 135-pound title? He's still out there. This is why I'm not a big pound-for-pound guy. It's just someone's opinion. But it's only a snapshot in time of someone's opinion. As soon as a fighter loses one fight or fails to look impressive, he's kicked to the curb. You know, Lomachenko's still a great fighter. and I'd love to see him in there versus any of the others that I just mentioned, or any of them versus any of them, really, frankly. But uh, as we mentioned before, the problem in, well, at least at 135, the problem isn't a lack of talent. Uh, the problems, The problems that exist are politics and... Promoters not working together, exclusive deals between fighters and networks and fighters over-inflating their value and fighters not wanting to risk jeopardizing unblemished records. Thanks, Floyd. And, of course, inactivity. Those are the things that are are killing it right now. But back to Lomachenko for a second. Now, he's 33 years old. He's had a history of injuries, and he's coming off a loss. And maybe all those things will cause some people to write him off. But I'd still love to see him back in the mix of these young guys at 135. I think my fear is that he'll stay relatively inactive and won't get these fights until he's past his best. Sort of like Triple G. And I think that's kind of sad because whether you like Lomachenko or not or whether you like Golovkin or not, you can't deny that they're special fighters. And if you don't want to see special fighters perform uh, against the best when they're at their best, then I'm not sure why you're a boxing fan. You know, this thing where great fighters pass through their prime without maximizing their big fight potential is not exclusive to European or Eastern European fighters. 
But it happens more so with them because they stay so long in the amateur system that when they finally do arrive to the pro ranks, they've got less time or less of a window to showcase their best. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a double-edged sword because that's the reason why they're so good. They spend so much time in the amateur ranks and they see every style and and they just they fight so much and then when they get to the pro ranks they're ready you know and 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 it feels like as fans somehow we're cheated out of the best matchups when that window their professional window gets cut short and we miss out on matchups that they could have been involved in i I go back and forth on that because we've also seen a lot of american fighters and mexicans as well as others who have the talent and have the potential but they get rushed into the pro game to the pro game and some of them survive and some of them learn from their mistakes and overcome them or go on to have tremendous careers but others simply can't cope and we lose out on their big fight potential as well now speaking of uh, young american fighters with potential we also saw some solid prospects on the undercard of that comey marinez card we saw the real big baby jared anderson uh, he's a heavyweight from toledo ohio he delivered an impressive six-round knockout against Kingsley eBay. That moves Anderson to 8-0 and with all eight wins coming by knockout. So Anderson's looked impressive as he has in all of his fights, but he's yet to be tested. So let's pump the brakes a little bit on him. But he's certainly someone to keep an eye on looking forward. He's been in camp with Tyson Fury for Fury's uh, second fight with Deontay Wilder as a sparring partner. So I'm sure he got a lot out of that. And I don't think he would have been asked to come in to be a sparring partner for Fury unless uh, someone saw something in him. So like I said, we'll keep our eye on him moving forward. And that's talking about Jared Anderson. Also on the same card, Jahai Tucker scored a second-round knockout against Eric Rodriguez, moving his record to 3-0. This kid looks really good, and he's just 18 years old, so another young prospect to look out for. Also, same night, different network. Jojo Diaz was supposed to defend his IBF junior lightweight belt against Shevkazan Rakimov. Although the fight did happen, Diaz did not defend that title because he showed up at the weigh-in three and a half pounds over the 130-pound limit and was forced to forfeit his title as well as pay a fine. And Some of that went to the California State Athletic Commission. Don't ask me why, but uh, they got in there on that. And uh, some of that money was also paid out to his opponent, Rakimov. Uh, in that situation... So the fight goes on, but only Rakimov can walk out with the belt if he secures the victory. But the fight ended in a majority draw, leaving yet another vacant title. Uh, but that's right in line with the type of weekend that was with all the unexpected happenings going on. By the way, uh, somebody asked me why Diaz was not allowed a second crack at making the weight like we've seen so many previous times in other fights. And the reason for that is because Jojo Diaz was more than two pounds over the limit, and that equals automatic forfeit of the title. What's the deal with Diaz, by the way? I mean, to borrow a term from professional wrestling, he's really made a heel turn and gone from like a good guy to a bad guy. He was always like this fresh-faced, young, talented kid and U.S. Olympian, All-American kind of guy. And now he's a, he's a little bit salty towards people. You know, he's like, I'm in it for me. I don't care what anybody thinks. I didn't make the weight, so what? wasn't my fault. There was no gym. There was no sauna. I mean, am I the only one who sees this? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But maybe these excuses, or or maybe they're legit reasons, but maybe these uh, reasons, maybe he's got a point. 
you know, um, but I do know this. Let me put it this way. Every fighter outside of heavyweights, every fighter knows exactly how much he or she weighs every day when they're in camp. Every day. They know. It's their responsibility to make weight. And that's the one of the main responsibilities of every fighter to make weight. And JoJo didn't do it. And he paid for it with his belt and some cash. And now he's got to get himself back into the mix. So uh, that's I guess that's what he's going to have to do. I hope he can because he's got talent. He's got heart. And I think we'll see him come back from this. Now, whether his future remains at 130 or not, that remains to be seen. He says it does. So there's that. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him in the mix with all the talent we talked about earlier, talking about 135 and that division. But uh, we'll see. As for the fight itself, it was a good fight, not great. Uh, I'm okay with the decision, a draw. There were a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of back and forth action, swings of momentum, and maybe the rounds were, a lot of those rounds were very close. So yeah, I'm fine with the draw. Run it back if you want or don't. I could go either way, really, to be honest with you. Now also on February 13th, we saw a big upset as the uh, former IBF featherweight champion Josh, the Leeds warrior Warrington of Leeds, England, was stopped in the ninth round by a relative unknown Mexican fighter, Mauricio Lara. And Warrington was somewhere in the neighborhood of a 15-1 to 1 favorite in that fight. But uh, uh, Lara, apparently, didn't get the memo. And he scored a hard knockdown in the fourth round that some say should have brought an end to the bout. But, you know, Warrington just looked very unsteady from that point forward. And, but, you know, the fight continued. And credit to Josh for carrying on and trying to reverse the inevitable. But, you know, in the ninth round, Laura finished the job and moved his record to 22-2. and two. He's got 15 KOs. And more importantly, he made a name for himself and introduced himself as a player in the 126-pound division. As for Warrington, he suffered a fractured jaw and a busted eardrum. But he says he's game for the rematch. And perhaps that'll take place sometime this summer. Now, let's see what uh, Eddie Hearn has up his sleeve with this one. I would think if he can't orchestrate a rematch for whatever reason, he would at least be keen to find a dance partner for Laura and cash in on this overnight sensation. But the irony in all this is the fact that Warrington vacated his IBF title so he could pursue more lucrative options and not be pinned down to mandatories. So he takes this fight as sort of a tune-up and just like that, his plan falls apart and the future remains to be seen as far as, far as Josh Warrington's concerned. So we got a little bit of everything on that weekend. A main event gets canceled. Uh, the champion in another main main event loses his belt on the scale. A 15-1 to 1 favorite in another main event gets knocked out. and We saw several knockouts. We saw a main event end in a draw, leaving a vacant title. We saw prospects advance. Uh, just a little bit of everything, really. So the following weekend, this past weekend, offered similar potential, on paper at least, uh, one main event was a disappointing ending uh, for an up-and-coming fighter, Josh Kelly. Uh, another main event saw a controversial figure who's been absent for two years come back with a lackluster performance, aided by, yet again, some questionable judging. Of course, I'm talking about Adrian Broner. And another main event saw a 3-1 to underdog who was also undersized, uh, at least compared to his opponent. 3-1 to underdog... Uh, Took out the 37 and one, now 37 and two, formidable champion with a masterful performance. Uh, of course, we're talking about Oscar Valdez with his big victory over 
Miguel Burchelt. So, so where do we start? Well, first off, the main event on the zone is where Josh Kelly uh, was bloodied and stopped in the sixth round by 32-year-old Russian David Avanesian. Now, that fight was for the European welterweight title. Avanesian, who's who's had three setbacks on his record, but they're all the quality fighters. Aegis Kavlioskis, uh, Lamont Peterson, and Andre Klimov, the only guys claiming victories over Avanesian. But uh, Avanesian just kept pressing forward, and Kelly, who was doing well early on, but he seemed to have no plan on how to deal with the uh, with the aggression from Avanesian. And, you know, David Avanesian, he's a good little fighter. Well, let's just say he's a good fighter. I only say little because he's he's a bit short for the weight, but but he's good. He's not, however, a world beater, and I have to pin this loss on Kelly and his lack of experience. Now, this was only Kelly's 12th fight, and he's got some figuring out to do if he's going to live up to the potential that many people say he has. And i, I got to be honest here, I, and this isn't 2020 hindsight. I've seen Kelly fight before, and I just don't see him as a top contender at any time or in the near future. At least, you know, in the near future, maybe, maybe over time, who knows? Uh, but he's a known quantity in the UK. You know, he represented Great Britain in the 2016 Olympics. He's he's backed and supported by many, and I just don't know if the talent matches the hype. Hey, I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, you know, that I. It wouldn't be the first time that I've been wrong. So let's just see what the future holds and. This, this loss just might be the wake-up call that Kelly needed to tighten up some of the holes in his game. Because, you know, he's a talented guy. He's only 26. So let's see what happens with him going forward. Over on Showtime, there was a three-fight main card that started uh, with Robert Easter Jr., who's now campaigning at 140 pounds. Uh, he took on Ryan Blue Chip Martin. Now, Martin, uh, you might remember him from the World Boxing Super Series tournament a few years back, where he suffered his first uh, loss as a professional to 140-pound champion Josh Taylor. And of course, there's no shame in that, but uh, Easter Easter looked very good, in my opinion. He boxed really well and controlled the distance throughout, and he cruised to a unanimous decision victory. And Martin just couldn't find a way past it, and he, he couldn't cut off the ring, and he just, he just didn't let his hands go, as far as I'm concerned. He just didn't let his hands go as much as he needed to. And in the end, uh, the fight ends for him, and the loss column. So Easter, by the way, looks good at this weight. I think he's much healthier. He looks much healthier than he did when he was at 135. So he's looking good there. The next bout of the evening pitted a 35-year-old Dominic Brazil against 30-year-old Swedish heavyweight Otto Wallin. Wallin made a name for himself by taking heavyweight uh, champion Tyson Fury the full 12 rounds. And he also opened up a nasty cut over Fury's eye. He performed very well in that fight. Uh, Brazil, on the other hand, he's had two title opportunities in recent years. He suffered knockout losses uh, in both of those to Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Wilder's big one-punch KO came in the very first round against Brazil. So, you know, at first I thought this was a good matchup when it was announced because both guys have had success other than the times that they've stepped up to face the champions that we mentioned. But... It was apparent already. It was apparent early on that Valine was just much faster and the the more skilled of the two. And the only question for me was whether or not he could avoid the big power shots from Brazil. You know, Brian Custer, the commentator on Showtime, I thought he was pretty hard on Brazil. You know, who, who lost a it was a unanimous decision, by the way, if, if I didn't already mention that. Uh, but I thought 
Brian Custer was a little uh, was pretty hard on Brazil. He said that if he were advising Brazil, he would tell him to hang him up. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that because Brazil's not a top five guy or even a top ten guy. But he's the kind of fighter who usually makes entertaining fights. His fights are usually good for a couple of knockdowns, some by him and some of him. And even though he was clearly outpointed by a better boxer, he never stopped trying. He never stopped coming forward. He never stopped throwing punches. You know, I'd I'd actually like to see more heavyweight fights where top fifteen type guys mix it up for the right to move up and possibly get title shots. And that's how it was in the 70s. And I know I'm showing my age when I say that, and I'm, I'm an old guy. But, you know, back in the 70s, that was, uh, well, that was a great era for heavyweight boxing. And that's kind of how guys got matched up a lot of times. Because, well, obviously, well, there weren't as many belts either at the time. But uh, a lot of the better guys, they fought other better guys. And, you know, it wasn't like a death sentence when you had a loss. They, they worked their way up to the top. So, uh, Balin, uh moves on after an impressive victory. I think he's earned his way back to a television set near you, and I'd like to see him again soon against a, another top heavyweight or, or a top heavyweight, <laughs> for that matter. So, also on that card, can't go without mentioning, the return of A.B., Adrian Broner. Now, that's a good moniker for him. <laughs> this time out, that's a good moniker for him, at least, because... Uh, the A side, he was the A side, you know, and the B side was uh, Giovanni Santiago. He was the B side. And the judges in that fight, they must have agreed with that because Broner was uh, awarded a unanimous decision despite not really doing much at any time during the fight. And uh, Santiago, who I had never seen before, and I wasn't overly impressed with him either. Uh, the fight really wasn't one that needs to be watched again, uh, unless you have insomnia. But uh, I'm fully aware that that fights are scored on a round-by-round -round basis and punch stats are merely for entertainment purposes only. But yeah, Broner landed less than 100 total punches over 12 rounds. How can you spread that across 12 rounds, less than 100 punches? How can you spread that across 12 rounds and come to the logical conclusion that Broner deserved that victory. You know, for all his antics and flashy persona, Broner really isn't an exciting fighter to watch, at least not in my opinion, at least not at welterweight. Uh, which, oh, by the way, was the weight they fought at, despite the bout being originally contracted at 140. So they come into the bout with a contract at 140 for 140 pounds, and a few days before the weigh-in, uh, Broner's people come forward to say he's not going to make 140. So, at the last minute, they moved the bout to 147. And that's what being the A-side's all about. And Santiago, who was the B-side, he had little or no choice in the matter. So, you know, this isn't the first time this kind of thing's happened. You know, back in 2012, uh, uh, Broner did the same thing or something similar when he fought Vicente Escobedo. Escobedo made the weight limit of 130 pounds, but Broner came in three and a half pounds over. Now, the, the difference here was uh, he, Broner was stripped of his title at the time and, and won that fight by TKO. Uh, this time, there was no title on the line. It's, by the way, that, it was very rare to see a three-fight card on a major network where no belts were in sight whatsoever. You know, with so many belts floating around these days, you would have thought somebody would have had one, but... Anyway, Broner moves on. He'll get another payday. 
probably undeserved. But like I said before, welcome, welcome to boxing. That's that's boxing. Now the fight of the weekend, uh, without a doubt, was on ESPN. Miguel Burchelt defending his WBC 130-pound title against fellow Mexican Oscar Valdez. Valdez just recently, a couple fights ago, had moved up from featherweight. He came into this fight as a three-to-one underdog. Burchelt came into this bout with 37 and one record with 33 KOs. The consensus of opinion was that Burchelt was just going to be too big and too strong and too good for the smaller Valdez. But Valdez boxed a master class and kept Burchelt lunging forward, trying to land big shots. The big shots just never came. Valdez scored a, uh, he scored a knockdown in the fourth, and he finished things off emphatically with a big knockout. Yeah, just as round 10 was coming to a close, it was a scary knockout. Burchelt was down, completely out for for a long time, and uh, he's okay. So that's great news. I mean, but it, it, it was not looking good. It was a it was a vicious, vicious knockout. Burchelt gave all he had. I mean, that's that's the definition of going out on your shield. He, he, he was coming forward. He never gave up. He was desperately trying to do, like, He's desperately trying to defend, you know, what he's worked so hard for. But Valdez was just not to be denied. And let's not kid ourselves. That knockdown, which uh, right now is probably the early front runner for knockout of the year, uh, it's going to be tough to top that one. But uh, the knockout was an exclamation exclamation point. But you know, Valdez. Let's not kid ourselves. Valdez was way ahead on the cards with uh, all the beautiful boxing and movement without. You know, he he moved without running. You know, he punched when the opportunity presented itself. He he moved when the opportunity to punch didn't present itself. He stayed out of harm's way, and that's great stuff from Oscar Valdez. That was a fantastic uh, performance. And uh, some people have speculated that Burchelt was weight drained and doesn't belong at 130. And I'm not sure about that, but uh, I'd have no problem tossing him into the mix. Talking about Burchelt, I'd have no problem tossing him into the mix with any or all of those big names at 135. Love to see that. Now, as for Valdez, he has options. Uh, he mentioned Shakur Stevenson's name after the fight. And I know Shakur is uh, looking for a big fight. So there's a little back and forth there that uh, maybe... Maybe could turn into a big fight here down the road. And since they're both promoted by the same promotional outfit, uh, there shouldn't be any obstacles to making that fight. Maybe not next, but somewhere, somewhere in the not too distant future. Yeah, and I was thinking to myself uh, out loud, I was thinking out loud to myself <laughs> that, well, after the Valdez Prichelt fight, that, you know, if I were Bob Arum, he's the president of Top Rank, Top Rank Incorporated. If I was Bob Arum, I might try to convince Vasily Lomachenko to drop back down to 130 and take on Valdez. I mean, what a fight that would be. Maybe Bob heard me because earlier today, uh, Arum floated the idea out there as a possibility. And sometime soon, maybe. Who knows? But I'd love that fight. Can you imagine the buzz that fight would create, especially if we can get back to the point where fans can attend? And come on, boxing, get your act together. There's so many great fights out there to be made. As far as this weekend coming up, uh, the big news, I guess, is the return of Canelo Alvarez on zone as he takes on Avni Yildirim from Turkey. And I would be shocked if Yildirim had any success at all against Canelo. I mean, Canelo's at or at least near the top of everyone's pound-for-pound pound list. And 
it's sort of a stay busy fight for Canelo, which I really have no problem with because, you know, he's going to be fighting three times in less than six months, which is extremely rare these days for fighters, especially for someone at the top of the food chain like uh, Canelo Alvarez. But uh, Canelo's chasing legacy and he's trying to focus on cleaning out the super middleweight division. Uh, in December, he easily outpointed former champion uh, Callum Smith uh, in December. And barring injury or an incredible upset, he'll be facing, talking about Canelo, he'll be facing Billy Joe Saunders in early May. So we'll keep on, we'll keep an eye on that going forward. Speaking of the zone for all you hardcore junkies like myself, you can get up early on the 27th and watch former heavyweight title holder Joseph Parker take on fellow, fellow New Zealander Junior Fa. And you can check the zone for the start times. I really don't know exactly what time that's going to start, but uh, you can bet it's going to be early because of the time difference. But as far as the fight itself goes, uh, Fa's making a name for himself you know, down under. and But uh, I've seen him before, and in my opinion, I think Parker takes him out without too much trouble. It could be a good fight. Uh, so I'll definitely get up early and check that one out. Uh, ESPN on the 27th also, or ESPN Plus, I should say, on the 27th also has a card to show. This one comes to us from another boxing hotbed, Kazakhstan. Of course, that's the country that gave us Triple G. So uh, Kazakhstan is hosting a card there. It's going to be shown on ESPN+. Plus. And if, I'll be frank with you. It features a bunch of fighters that I can't pronounce and fighters you won't remember if I did know how to pronounce them. But uh, that part of the world's really producing some very, very talented fighters. Of course, Triple G, I mentioned him. He hails from Kazakhstan. Also, uh, Uzbekistan's another place in that part of the world where they have they've got some great amateurs and very soon they're going to be making their way to the pro ranks so uh, I like to keep my eye on those those guys that are coming from that part of the world as well some some great fighters indeed and if you want to forego the good fights and just watch what's on terrestrial TV you can tune into Fox on Saturday night and Let's see, we've got uh, Anthony Durrell versus Kieran Davis in a 12-round super middleweight bout. And that card also features 18-year-old New Jersey native Vito Melnicki Jr. He's looked really good uh, for such a young prospect. He's 7-0, four knockouts, and he's trained by veteran trainer and Fox commentator, by the way, Joe Goosen. Yeah, this kid's gotten a lot of exposure so far. It's like every one of his fights has been televised, it seems like, but he's gotten a lot of exposure uh, the jury's still out on him to see how far he can go, but he's only 18, so there's no need to rush, and we'll see. We'll see what's going on with uh, Vito Milnicki on Saturday night. Now, before we wrap this edition of the H-Bomb Boxing Report, I want to remind everybody to go to our website, hbombboxing.com. That's hbombboxing.com. And subscribe if you haven't done so uh, already. And Connect with us through the social media links that we provide on the website. So, you know, we're, we're trying to direct traffic also to our boxing page on Facebook that we have that's also called H-Bomb Boxing. So there, there's plenty of ways to get with us and stay in touch. So please reach out. Let us know what you think, and we'd love to hear from you. So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and we can't do it without you. Uh, we covered a lot today, tonight, wherever you are. It might be today. It might be tonight. But we covered a lot today, and uh, 
Last time I was on, somebody said, hey, you know, you mentioned all these other people that are helping you put this show together. You didn't even mention your own name. So let me make sure I get that in there. Not that the show's about me, but my name's Marty H. And before I go, uh, I just want to remind you that in life, it's not where you are. It's not what you're doing. It's who you're with that matters. Spend more time with the people you love. Watch more boxing. And we'll do it again next time on the H-Bomb Boxing. So long, everybody. 